Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Hear the word of the Lord. Father, we do pray that you may once again quieten our hearts and our minds. There are so many things that consume our attention. And we pray, Lord, that you may help us to focus and that we may hear the voice of God as we hear, as we read the word of God. And Lord, nothing will happen. There will be no change unless the Spirit of God works. And so we ask for that. We plead for your presence. Take away the hardness of heart that we so often have and help us to focus on God's word and what it means to us. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. I've discovered that one of the most common mistakes that people make about Christianity is to mistake good people for Christians. Now, that's a mistake because you can be a good person and an atheist. You can be a good person and a Buddhist. You can even be a good person and a Christian. But it's not goodness that makes you a Christian. It's not that God, so don't misunderstand me, it's not as if God is against being good. It's just that being good or trying to be good won't make you a Christian. And as we'll see in just a moment, it's the exact opposite. It's sort of counterintuitive what Jesus is teaching us here. So let's dig into the passage. I'm going to use three points, in fact, three verbs that will help us to understand how do you become a disciple of Jesus? How do you become a Christian? What must you do to become a disciple of Jesus? Uh, Three points, three verbs. Number one, recognize who's speaking, and we'll pick that up from this passage. Number two, obey what he says. And number three, understand you're sick. So those are the three those are the three verbs that you can hang everything I say onto. Um, recognize, obey, understand. Let's dig in straight away. Recognize who's speaking. Let's have a look at the passage. Matthew chapter nine. I hope you have it open in front of you. Verse nine. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. So you say to yourself, Martin, this is going to be quite a quick point because it's quite obvious who's speaking. It's Jesus, but not so quick. Notice that the author is Matthew. The Matthew of this, uh, the Matthew, the gospel is written by Matthew. It's the gospel of Matthew. And um, 
It's not fiction. It's non-fiction. He's giving us a biography of Jesus. And the interesting thing is that Matthew is not an external bystander. He's not a researcher. He's not a journalist. No, he's actually part of the story. In fact, the same Matthew who wrote this gospel is the Matthew that we meet here in chapter 9, verse 9. He's part of the story. In fact, he's talking about himself. He's talking about how he became a disciple of Jesus. So he's giving his testimony here. Matthew, also called Levi, we know, we told you, was a tax collector. So I won't go into all the details, but what happened is that Palestine uh, was a so-called colony of the Romans. They were the colonizers. They were the oppressors. And uh, some of the Jewish men, uh, in a sense, were traitors because they would collect taxes from their own people to give some of it, or most of it, to the Roman oppressors. That's who Matthew was. So he would give some of the taxes to the Romans, their oppressors, and uh, quite a bit he put into his own pocket. So they were despised. They were despised by the Jewish people, everybody. Um, You didn't mix with them. They were wealthy, they were rich, but they were corrupt. So it's sort of it's sort of state capture 101. Um, nothing new about state state capture, guys. This is state capture 101. And uh, he's sitting. You notice that he's sitting at his tax booth. We don't know exactly what that would have looked like. He's in Capernaum. So notice chapter nine, verse one. Uh, we're not told, but it's quite clear Jesus had crossed over in a boat to his own city. So Jesus based himself for his ministry in Capernaum, which was a city, a port, right next to Lake Galilee. So if you go onto maps, not right now, afterwards, uh, you'll find Capernaum right up in the northwest of Lake Galilee. That's where uh, Matthew worked from, that's where he lived, that's where he did his business, and that's where Jesus based his ministry. Jesus comes up to him. So Matthew's giving his testimony. He says, this, this, this man came up to me, Jesus came up to me, said to me, follow me, and I rose and followed him. Now when you first read that, it's a little bit strange. I mean, it's odd that a stranger comes up to you, says, follow me, and you follow him. I mean, does that really happen? Um, Here's Matthew, he's in his office, he's quietly going about his own business, perhaps he's calculating on on Excel how much profits he's made, and the stranger comes up, he says, follow me, he gets up and follows him. Now Matthew doesn't tell us, but it's quite probable, in fact it's very probable, that Matthew would have known a great deal about Jesus. Capernaum wasn't a huge city, it was a town, it was a significant town, But Jesus had been doing miracles, significant miracles, strange miracles. And no doubt he would have heard about Jesus. That's why he tells us, just notice here in in chapter 8, he would have heard about some of the miracles of Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 1, where there's a leper who comes to Jesus. And uh, in those days, if you touch lepers, you would yourself contract leprosy. And Jesus does exactly that. He touches the leper, but strangely... Not only is the leper cleansed, but Jesus is still clean. And then notice chapter 8, verse 5. He heals a paralyzed servant of a Roman centurion. Now, this would have stuck in everyone's throat. The oppressors were the Romans. Here's one of their centurions. His servant is paralyzed. He comes to Jesus. He says, will you help? Will you heal him? Jesus speaks a word, and, 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 and he is healed. It would have been a scandal in the town. Absolute scandal. 
We hate the Gentiles. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 23. He calms a storm. We know the story. He's with his disciples on the boat. There's a storm to this day. There are storms in Lake Galilee. And uh, Jesus speaks and the storm stops. Supernatural. Absolutely supernatural. A miracle. He would have heard that story. Chapter 8, verse 28. He casts out demons. Of course, we know there are demons everywhere. We know that Satan is everywhere. Well, Jesus has power over demons. We don't have to fear demons. Why? Because Jesus casts out demons. In actual fact, what is interesting is that the first creatures in the Gospels who recognize who Jesus actually is were the demons. So they cry out, chapter 8, verse, verse 29, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They knew who he was. So... I would very much presume that Matthew would have known who this Jesus is. That here's a man who's not just some ordinary man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a rabbi. No, this is an extraordinary man with extraordinary authority. And that's the same Jesus who says to us today, as we read this passage, he says, follow me. And we know that the one who speaks is the one who has authority. He has authority over the natural world, over the elements. He has authority over the supernatural world, over the demons. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over sin. He has authority over Gentiles, over Jews. And so Matthew finally writes this gospel because he's come to understand that this Jesus is actually God in the flesh. And that's why he followed him. And he died for him at the end. You see, Matthew knew that, and he tells us that because he's a very careful author. He actually has a bracket. You know how we sometimes, when we write, we we, we put words in brackets. Well, there's a bracket right at the start of Matthew's gospel and right at the end. So in Matthew chapter 1, in the the birth narrative, we are told that Jesus' name, one of his names, will be Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus, God with us. And then the last verse of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I will be with you always. So Matthew, who's a very clever author, puts his whole gospel in this bracket. Who am I talking about? Who is the one who calls us to follow him? Well, it's actually God in the flesh, God with us. We don't like the idea of authority, especially if you're younger. You don't want anyone to tell you what to do. Remember those days when you were at school, high school, you you called to sit and see the principal? Remember those days? It's terrifying because you knew you were in trouble. And um, I think I told you that once, I was often in the principal's office, by the way, and uh, so what would happen is Monday morning we'd have assembly, then, then there'd be notices, then at the end of the notices, Mr. Lambert, uh, this was in Zimbabwe, I went to high school in Zimbabwe, and Mr. Lambert would then uh, call all the names of the people who he wanted to see. And you knew that if your name was called, you were in big trouble. And uh, he, he called the names Anne Morrison. So there I was, Monday morning, first thing, sitting outside Mr. Lambert's door, and uh, scared stiff, and Mr. Lambert calls me in, and um, he says, Morrison, um, you know what happened Friday afternoon, Um, and by the way, it was just a traffic offense. Um, 
he said, you know what happened Friday afternoon? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I can either, I, I can do one of two things. I can either call the police or give you six of the best. I said, please, please, sir, six of the best. And uh, then he gives you six of the best. And then you were always taught afterwards to stand up, put your arms around your side and say, thank you, sir. And then you run out. <laughs> and you run out and you cry. Um, the authority of Jesus, it is something like that, but not, that's, not a, that's not a really accurate picture. I think it's more, it's more like, you remember when, uh, so, so I remember, Gene uh, uh, and I, we go to the shopping mall, uh, and our kids are small, you know, three years, four years old, and you're busy, and you're in a shop, Mr. Price, or whatever it is, and... Uh, and suddenly your child is missing, and the child is terrified, and the child doesn't know where mom is. And, I mean, if you're a parent, we've all had that, haven't we? We've all had that. The child is terrified. You're terrified. And the child is looking and scrambling, and where's, where's, where's my mother? And then suddenly, after three, four minutes of, of, of panic, uh, the child sees the mother and runs in tears and wraps her arms around her legs. Security, safety, I'm safe, I'm home. But part of that is authority. That's the picture. It's coming home. It's coming back to where you belong, where there's safety, there's security. Second principle. First principle, recognize you're speaking. God with us is speaking. This is no small matter. Secondly, obey what he says. Once again, verse 9, we will get to verse 10. Don't give up hope. Verse 9, Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now notice what he doesn't say. The Pharisees would have expected him to say, follow these rules and regulations. That's what the Pharisees would have said. You have 400 rules and regulations. This is what you are to eat. This is what you are not to eat. This is how you are to wash your hands before you eat. This is how you are to wash your utensils. This is what you do on the Sabbath. This is what you don't do on the Sabbath. Follow these rules and regulations. Follow this code of ethics. Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He says, follow me. That discipleship has to do... Right at the beginning, right at the start, and right at the end, it has to do with following Jesus, the person Jesus. That's what it is. It's coming to Jesus as you are. So the key to life, Matthew is telling us here in his testimony, the key to life is not rules and regulations as taught by the Pharisees. It's not, it's not philosophy. It's not education. It's not the latest... Uh, um, Sorting out your life book that you buy at exclusive books. No, no, no. The key to life is a person, the person of Jesus. Follow me. So the key to our lives, my dear friends, is not our New Year's resolutions, by the way. You're going to break them because you're pretty much like me. You're a sinner. Key to life is not your church, it's not your pastor, it's not your apostle, it's not your prophet, it's not your not it's not the Ahmed Lawsy, it's not Mary. No, the key to life is Jesus. And just by the way, you will never understand God without Jesus. I mean that's obvious. But you also will never understand yourself without Jesus. And you'll never really understand other people without Jesus. And you'll never really understand the world without Jesus. 
You'll always be walking in this haze, unclear as to how it all works, why it's unfair. Unless you know Jesus and what he's taught us, the Jesus of the scriptures. So it's not the Jesus of our imagination. No, it's the Jesus as revealed in the scriptures, as taught to us by Matthew, an eyewitness. He was there. Well, you also notice there, verse 9, that when Jesus, uh, that when you follow Jesus, it's not just following Jesus, it's following Jesus and his words. So notice there, he recognizes who Jesus is, he hears his words, and he obeys them. So when we submit to God, we submit to God and his word. You can never separate the two. The two always go together. You can never s- separate Christ and his words. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. You can never separate the two. If we say we love Jesus, if we say we obey Jesus, it means that we love his word. In fact, Jesus told us, John chapter 14, the Apostle John said, if you love me, he's quoting Jesus, and Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and your joy will be full. So if you say that you love Jesus and you don't obey his commandments and his word as a disciple, you're a liar. That's really what he's saying. Don't say, I love Jesus, I love God, but you don't feed on his word and obey his word. Perhaps as as we've come to the start of this new year, You've, you've actually discovered that you've drifted from God, that you've backslidden. Perhaps one of your New Year's resolutions was to come back to church, and here you are. And um, the problem is that how do you get out of that? You've drifted from God, perhaps you've drifted into sin. You're lurking in the shadows. Perhaps you've fallen into a dark hole. Let me just warn you and tell you, and I speak from bitter experience. You can be happy as a Christian. You can be happy as a non-Christian for a while. But you will never be happy if you are a Christian living like a non-Christian. You'll never be happy. I can tell you that. So I know where you are. You're miserable. Because if you're a Christian, you can't be a Christian living like a non-Christian. So Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments and your joy will be full. They're connected. So my dear friend, if you want to get back to the Lord, you've got to get back to the Lord through his word. So I would encourage you, From today, get back into the word of God. That means you need to read God's word day by day. You need food. You see, the reason that that, uh, Christians backslide and Christians fall away is that we're not feeding. So we we become malnourished. Uh, You die. I mean, that's what happens. Some of us are, some of you may be just on bread and water. I mean, you're going to make, well, you will make it. But there won't be much joy. No, joy comes when we come back to Jesus and his word. So perhaps you need to get back into the word. 
Let me say to you, why don't you, why don't you every day read one of the Psalms, Psalm 1 and Matthew 1. Tomorrow, Psalm 2, Matthew 2. Next day, Psalm 3, Matthew 3. And every time you start, say, Lord, if you are real, will you make yourself real to me? Will you draw me back to yourself? Read the passage and reflect on it. And I can promise you that as you do that, as you sincerely seek God, he will draw you back to himself. There is no other antidote. But getting back to Jesus, follow me and my word. Well, let's have a look at the third principle. Very, very important. Principle number one, recognize who's speaking. Principle number two, obey what he says. Principle number three, and we pick it up verse 10, understand you're sick. Understand you're sick. So the first misunderstanding people have about Christianity is that you must be good to be a Christian. I think the second misunderstanding people have about Christianity is that they don't realize that you need to be sick and realize that you're sick before you can become a Christian. So have a look at verse 10. Where am I? Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So it's quite obvious what is happening here. Matthew has discovered the key to life. He's been searching for it all his life. He's found the key to life. He's found forgiveness. He's found peace. He's found security. He's found purpose. And he's just full of joy. And he has a party. He has a feast. He invites all his tax collector friends because he wants them to meet Jesus. Problem is, the Pharisees, who we know were the religious leaders of the day, were appalled. Because your standing with God had to do with rules and regulations. It had to do with obeying the law, their laws. In fact, if you didn't obey their laws, you were an outsider. You were impure. You were unclean. So they're appalled. I mean, what is Jesus doing with this scum? Uh, they, don't, they don't come to the synagogue every Saturday. They don't, they don't obey all our rules and regulations. I mean, who are they? Who are these people? Why is he mixing with these people? You see, the Pharisees had a kind of a cosmic balance sheet. And I think often church people have that. That uh, perhaps, you, perhaps, perhaps that's you this morning. You've had a bad week. You've done some bad things. So you thought to yourself, well, let me go to church and sit through it. And I sort of outbalance. You, you know how it is. You've, so I've done a bad thing. Let me do this other thing, this good thing. I don't really like it. It's quite boring. But let me do it. And then it sort of undoes you kind of balance the scales. Yes? Uh, um, that was their thinking. It was a kind of a cosmic uh, balance sheet. When you do wrong, well, then let's give to the poor. When you've done wrong, well, let me, let me be specially nice to my wife or my children. Let me go to church. Uh, that was purity. You were an insider. So verse 11, when they see Jesus mixing with these outsiders... Uh, these unclean specimens, uh, these, these, these people have, who have no, I mean, who are these people? They have no understanding of this cosmic balance sheet. They don't understand it. 
So they say, why does your, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me just say, we are so used to this story, most of us, so we know this story, most of us, that we don't understand the shock of what they're saying. So let me try and illustrate that in our kind of context, and let me just warn you, I'm probably going to offend everybody. Um, how, how would you feel about these people coming to a sincere, genuine faith in Christ and sitting next to you in heaven? How would you think about uh, perhaps the Watson brothers or the Gupta brothers? What about John Forster or P.W. Boerter? What about Robert and Grace? Especially Grace. (laughs) For some, Helen Ziller. For others, Julius. Now, if you are struggling with wanting any one of those people to sit next to you in heaven... You are a Pharisee. And just so that you know, I do struggle with a couple of those. (laughs) And if we are Pharisees, we don't really know why Jesus came. He came for people like that. And he came for people like you and me. In fact, he tells us why he came. Verse 12. Gets to the heart of the matter. This is why I came. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's a quote from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know how in the movies you you sometimes have a flashback which helps you to understand the movie and the present. So what Matthew does here, or what Jesus does, Jesus has a flashback to, to Israel 700 years before his birth when Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And they were no different from the Pharisees. And so he quotes what Hosea, God's prophet, said to Israel, the legalists, God was angry with Israel, and he said to Israel, he said, what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. For I desire steadfast love. It's a better word for mercy. Steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So Israel, like the Pharisees, they went through all the motions. They went to church. They offered all the religious sacrifices. They, they, they made all the burnt offerings according to the instruction manual. But there was no real love for God. It wasn't personal. There was no personal knowledge of God. And Jesus says, it's even worse. You don't understand that I didn't come to help you obey the rules. That's not why I came. I did not come. You don't understand that I didn't come to help you try harder. I didn't come. You don't understand. I didn't come to help you be good. No, I came to call sinners, not the righteous. I came to call the spiritually sick, not the healthy. And your problem, he says to the Pharisees, is you don't even know that you're sick. You don't even know that you've got terminal cancer. 
and you're living in denial. So in God's economy, in Jesus' economy, there's no good and bad. There's no healthy and sick. We're all sick. We're all sinners. We're all failures. The only difference is that some of us know it and some of us don't. And he came for those who know it. Imagine, imagine if tomorrow morning you go to your office, you go to your classroom, uh, you go to your place of work or study, and as you open the door, big shock, massive shock, there is a cardiac surgeon, there is an anesthetist, there's your GP, there's a senior sister, uh, all standing in your office ready to, to put their hands on you. And you say, to you, you say to them, what on earth are you doing here? There's nothing wrong with me. I mean, what are you doing here? For goodness sake, you should be at Waterfall Hospital. You should be at Sunning Hill. They are people who are desperately needy. Well, that's the Pharisees. Jesus, what are you doing here? I mean, we're fine. You should go to people who really need you. You see, Jesus cannot, listen carefully, Jesus cannot help you one bit unless you realize you're sick. If you don't realize you're sick, he can't help you. You haven't got to the, to the door, to the gate. He can't help you till you realize, I'm terminal. I'm spiritually terminal. I'm sick. And unless Jesus, the physician, the spiritual physician, heals me, I'm dead. So let me put it bluntly. In a sense, God will not listen to your prayers. I mean, sometimes he does out of his goodness and his grace. But he basically will not listen to your prayer unless you have prayed prayer 101. And prayer 101 is, oh God, will you have mercy on me? Now, perhaps you're new here this morning, new to our church. You feel a little bit uncomfortable it's been a bit personal. You look around, you see all these good people, you, you feel kind of awful and dirty. Well, let me just tell you that you can't belong to this church unless you're a sinner. And it starts at the top, just by the way. And uh, you think we're all good people. We've probably out you 10 to 1. And uh, don't let all these pretty faces fool you. The only difference between you and us is that we've realized that we're sick and we need God to save us from our spiritual poverty and our spiritual cancer. And until you call on him to have mercy, you cannot start the journey of discipleship. It's a non-negotiable entry point. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. And you may want to tell God where you are. Perhaps God has been speaking to you this morning as we've been singing, as we've been praying, as we've been looking at God's word, and you know 
that you've never called on God for mercy, wouldn't today be a good day to finally get right with God? Perhaps you're sitting here and you are a Christian, but you've drifted from God. Let's be honest. You know that. God knows that. You've been playing in the shadows or perhaps you're even in a deep hole. Well, the only way to get right with God is to talk to him. You may want to echo these words in your own head. Oh God, will you have mercy on me? Will you rescue me? Because of the cross, because of what you are and what you did, will you make me your disciple? And Father, for those of us who've been your disciples for many, many years, will you forgive us when we've been arrogant, where we've been proud? Forgive us when we have doubted your goodness. Forgive us when we have failed to obey your call to follow you. Forgive us when we've tried to find the key to life in anything other than the person of Jesus. So, Lord, you need to deal with every one of us in this building, every one of us in this room. Will you draw us to yourself when we call on you for mercy? And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.